We've arrived at the end of our series in Daniel. And what a great series it has been. Looking at eight lessons in faithfulness. Seeing God's faithfulness to his people in a time of trial and exile. But also seeing Daniel's faithfulness to his God as well. Today we'll be looking at the final vision, which is quite a large chunk of text. Uh, Shook was reading out sections of three chapters, but we're going to be going through all the three chapters, verse by verse. Just kidding. I'm aiming to do this in roughly 25 minutes, hopefully in a way that doesn't feel rushed. To help us tackle the passage, we're going to look at three main points. God who comforts, God who sustains, and God who resurrects. As we work our way through these three chapters, it'll be really helpful to have your Bible open and following along. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. Lord, help us make sense of a tricky passage. Um, And Lord, would it lead us to a greater love and affection of who you are? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm a big soccer fan. I love the game. And growing up, if there was one thing for certain, it was that I'd sign up for my local soccer team. And so when I finished school and I moved up to the Gold Coast, I made sure that I got plugged into a local team up here, the Southport Warriors. Uh, But not long into my first season, I got badly tackled and I was injured. I was devastated. I was just finding my place in this soccer team. And then, boom, I was injured. I was sidelined for a few months. But I said to myself, it'll be okay. I'll still be a part of the team. I'll rock up. I'll be the water boy or something. I'll support them. But only after a month had passed by, I couldn't handle it. I hated it. I just wanted to be back out playing with my team or at least know when I'd be out of return and play again. I'd never really been injured before and so the uncertainty of not knowing when I'd return really bothered me. I'm sure there's things out there that are far more unsettling for you than a temporary soccer injury. Uncertainties can come in many ways, in many forms. Maybe it's financial uncertainty, uh, uncertainty about your future, or perhaps it's the uncertain nature around your health or the health of a loved one, or even the uncertainty that comes when someone you care about doesn't know and trust in the Lord Jesus yet. These uncertainties can certainly trouble us because they feel like they're out of our control. And I think this is how Daniel is feeling. He's uncertain of what, happened, what will happen to God's people. Will they be delivered? Will they return home? What will life even look like for them? Which leads us to our first point, God who comforts. If we look back at the last few chapters, these visions and dreams have left Daniel feeling deeply troubled, appalled, confused. He even says that these visions are just beyond his understanding. And in chapter 10, as you may have picked up, he's really freaking out. There's multiple times he's trembling, he's speechless, he's filled with anguish, he's even sleeping. Um, It's the most introduction to any vision we have had so far. So what is causing Daniel this anguish and distress? Well, firstly, he's confronted by this angelic figure in verse 6. His face was like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, his voice like the sound of a multitude. You may have picked up on the description does sound similar to the description of Jesus in Revelation, but it, it is hard to know for sure who it's talking about here. But what we can be what we can be sure of is that this angelic figure comes with majesty, power, and the dread of God. 
When I first read this description, I thought of David Bowie with the lightning on his face. Kind of looks a bit scary, doesn't he? But I think this is a whole other level. This angelic figure would have been absolutely frightening. Also, the theme of the vision troubles Daniel. Look at verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. His message was true and concerned a great war. Daniel's probably thinking, more war? Haven't we just endured all these years of exile? How does this fit into God's plan of delivering his people? If we remember back to the last chapter in chapter 9, Daniel is pleading with God to fulfill his promise written in Jeremiah that once 70 years is completed in exile, that God's people would return to the promised land. Well, it had been about 68 years uh, and and what does Daniel see? He sees a vision of war. On the one hand, Daniel trusts in God that he will deliver on his promise. But also he knows that the people's sin and unrepentant sin still continues, which is what got them into exile in the first place. Will people's sin prevent them from returning home? Also, what is troubling Daniel and worth noting is that it's not just a physical war taking place here. It's also a spiritual battle. We see this in verse 13 when the prince of Persia, an evil angel, detains the angelic figure for three weeks until Michael, one of God's angels who protects his people, he lends a hand. There's more war going on here than meets the eye. This is all pretty overwhelming for Daniel. Keeping in mind he's, he's old now, he's well into his 80s, which I'm sure is much older than any of you here. Um, but he's keen to see God's people restored back to Jerusalem. Just try to put yourself in Daniel's shoes for a moment. For most of your life, you've been exiles in a foreign land. Your nation has been humiliated. You're called by a different name. Your life has been on a knife's edge many times. And now you're seeing visions of a great war. You can see why he's uncertain. Notice after, in in verse 2, after hearing there's more war, Daniel turns to his greatest weapon, prayer. Daniel mourned for three weeks, which is another way of saying he prayed, he pleaded with God. It's his go-to move. You can imagine if Daniel had one of those um, action cards that has the strengths and weaknesses on it. On the weaknesses, he'd probably have, um, he's a bit slow, he's frail, he sleeps a lot. But under the strengths, he, uh, his prayer life is right up there, isn't it? And his faithfulness to God. And we've seen this numerous times. Daniel always resorts to prayer. Verse 12, he set his mind to gain understanding and he humbled himself before God. Daniel humbly seeks understanding because he knows his God is faithful in answering him, whatever that may look like. God listens and comforts Daniel. Have a look at the end of verse 12. The angelic figure says, Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Now I have, in verse 14, Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. God reassures Daniel, and he's essentially saying, I haven't forgotten my people. In all the war and turmoil to come, remember I am your God. I am with you. I'm in control of all this. And God also comforts Daniel with the peace and strength to be able to carry on when he's feeling weak. It says in verse 18, Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. Peace, be strong now. Be strong. 
We've seen it time and time again that God comforts Daniel in a time of need. He listens to his prayers. He provides for his needs. And even though Daniel is troubled by what he's seeing in this vision, God is showing him through the vision that he's in control. And chapter 11 is where most of the explanation takes place, which brings us to our second point, God who sustains. Well, in the Back to the Future movies, I'm a big fan, hope you are too, uh, there's a character named Biff Tannen. It's actually hard to know whether he's a good or bad guy. It sort of depends on what happens in the past. Uh, but in the second movie, old Biff from 2015, from the future, he gets his hands on this sports almanac with all the results from 1950 to 2000. And he thinks, well, what a great opportunity. And he steals the time machine and to, to give it back to uh, young Biff um, in 1955. And he proves to young Biff that this sports almanac is actually legit by, by predicting an unlikely uh, result. And from there, as you can imagine, Biff bets on all the sporting events and he becomes really rich. Similar to the sports almanac, Chapter 11 is kind of like a war almanac for Daniel with all the future results of kingdoms fighting against kingdoms. Like Biff, Daniel has seen a bit of proof. The vision back in chapter 8 has already been fulfilled in part when Persia defeated Babylon. But unlike Biff's almanac with all the specific results of who won, Daniel's vision is much more vague. You can try a picture Daniel working it out. Okay, in chapter 11, um, okay, there's... There's Persia, then they get taken over by Greece. Like every successful group, they split up. But then the south comes in, the north takes over. It's kind of confusing. Who is the north and south referring to? You may have had a go in your growth group at joining some of the dots and worked out a few. But it is hard to know as it goes on, who is it actually talking about? And you can imagine for Daniel, this is really confusing and really unsettling. Where do God's people fit into all this fighting? I think the vagueness is intentional. Rather than focusing on who's north and who's south, the fact is the kingdoms are coming from the north and the south and it's God's people who are in the middle. The chaos and fighting is happening all around them and it's like they're in a vice. They're under pressure from the surrounding wars. And so the question becomes, how do God's people survive in the vice? How will God sustain his people? Well, in the book of Ezra, God's people do return home from exile, but it's not how it was before. They're under the rule of foreign nations still, and there's internal division. It's, it's not what the God's people were hoping for. And as we read on in chapter 11, it slows down to focus on some of the oppressive rulers that God's people would face. Verse 21, it mentions a contemptible person. Read with me from verse 31. It says, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple forces and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will resist him. And then in verse 33, those who are wise will instruct many. Though for a time they will fall by the sword, be burned, captured or plundered. Then over in verse 36, Speaking of the king who exalts himself, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. God is revealing to Daniel that there will come a time where rulers will seek out war. They will do as they please. They will disregard the true God 
and they will try to destroy the holy way of living. And for the returned exiles, there was pressure to give up their faith from the oppression that they were facing. Or maybe they were being lured away with flattery. But for those who were true to God, some were burned, captured and plundered. And this continues to happen, doesn't it? Think of the early church. Paul speaks of the severe oppression and opposition that he faced during his ministry. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I was put in prison, flogged on multiple occasions, was whipped, stoned, beaten with rods and was exposed to death many times. Paul's greatly suffered, but in his faithful perseverance, the gospel spread to the nations. And even today, not much has changed. Nations are fighting against nations. There's people in our church who even their government overseas burns and martyrs Christians. For not, and they burn them for not renouncing their faith. But as we've seen, uh, and we've been reminded in the last couple of weeks, it's in these highly persecuted nations that God's church is expanding and spreading. God is strengthening Christians through perseverance, and because of their faithful, the gospel is spreading. Be encouraged that God sustains his church. In verse 35, it says, The wise will stumble so that they may be refined purified and made spotless. Through suffering and facing death, the wise will be made righteous and blameless before God. And through their faithful example, others will also be encouraged by that too. And Daniel is a great example of this. We've seen all throughout Daniel that when he's tested and when he's been put under trial, he remains faithful to God. But what God's people need is more than just a faithful person like Daniel. What we ultimately need is faithfulness where we're not. And this is where Christ delivers. It's Christ's faithfulness that ultimately saves people. He faithfully committed to dying for the unfaithful. And it's through his death that we're refined, purified and made spotless. In chapter 9, when Daniel prayed for God to be merciful and to forgive his people's sins, um, God once and for all did that in Jesus. Also, through Jesus, God gives us a great example of how to endure through suffering by continuing to put our trust in God. In chapter 2, God promises that his people will be delivered from evil one day because his kingdom will crush all others. And for us, Christ's death is the assurance for victory over evil. God doesn't want Daniel to focus on the evil and the terrible things that are going to happen but rather focus on God's power to destroy it because God is sovereign and powerful over everything. And as we see our culture moving further away from Christianity and Christian thinking and living becomes more criticised, we must not put our hope in religious freedoms, but rather in the sovereign God who is over it all. Christian views on sex and marriage, abortion and many other things are now being labelled as as offensive And it's harder to speak into those areas without being labelled or without being cancelled. But this passage reminds us that we don't have to be anxious for the future. And we don't have to get up in arms about religious freedoms or people not holding to um, Christian values because God is in control. And this frees Christians up to confidently speak the gospel into these situations, to voice our opinions and concerns in love, even when it's risky because God is in control and he will do what's best. 
And we know from hearing before about Iran that God actually uses horrible circumstances to grow and sustain his church, to take heart. And take heart when we read chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of great distress, such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is written in the book of life, will be, de- will be delivered. What a contrasting verse this is, talking about the evil that is to come, the worst it has ever been. But no matter how greatly God's people are suffering, they will be delivered. And we can have certainty in that. Which leads us to our last point, God who resurrects. Read with me in verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to everlasting contempt. This concept for, for Daniel, the concept of resurrection, would have been really confusing, wouldn't it? That God's people would continue to endure suffering, but then rise from the dead and live forever. It would have been inconceivable for him. But for us, the resurrection is made much clearer in Christ. We can be confident that we will be raised from the dead to everlasting life because Christ defeated the grave and was raised to life. And God's people from all time, those in Daniel's time before Christ and us now, will be raised to everlasting life. For Christians, take comfort. Whatever evil you're in, it's normal. It's actually to be expected. But it's nothing that it doesn't compare with everlasting life. The joy of eternity with God far outweighs anything that we anything that we face or pain on this earth. And this helps us. This helps us to live well now, doesn't it? Look at the example of Paul. He deeply desired to be with his Lord. In Philippians 1:21, it says, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." For Paul, the resurrection hope actually enabled him to boldly share his faith in the face of opposition helping others to know Christ. And if he died, he'd be with his saviour. It's a win-win. Shouldn't the resurrection hope also embolden us? As I mentioned earlier, many of us carry the uncertainty of not knowing where our loved ones are going. Maybe we do, but but it's confronting. We have the hope of salvation and everlasting life. Let's share it. What do we have to lose? Because in verse 2, it tells us there's also a mention of double resurrection. It's a reality that we're all faced with. Some will raise to everlasting life, but some to everlasting contempt and destruction. Where are you going? Is your trust in Jesus? Have you handed your life over to him and eagerly await the day when you see your saviour face to face? Or are you still living for yourself, living for the hope of this world? And it's this eternal hope that makes present faithfulness to God so much more worthwhile. Even if it means we have to suffer and lose our lives, the promised outcome is, verse 3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The reward for faithful perseverance is glorious. And as verse 3 says, leading others towards righteousness is also crucial in helping God's people persevere. In Daniel's time, the wise would have encouraged other believers to stand firm to God and not give in to pagan traditions. 
And for us, we're also called to help other believers. We probably know people ourselves, maybe it's our mission partners or people in our family, and they're doing it tough for the sake of the gospel. We ought to partner with them in prayer and in personally encouraging them as well to keep living out the gospel. Maybe send them a message if you haven't done that recently. We also have Christians in our lives, though, who just generally struggle with faithfulness to God. They might be prioritizing other things in their life, or maybe life's just really tough for them. We should get around those people, those brothers and sisters, and encourage them to keep pressing into God and remind them of the great hope that we have in everlasting life. The book finishes with two questions. Firstly, one of the angels asks, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man in linen answers, verse 7, It will be for a time, times and half a time, when the power of the holy people has finally been broken. All these things will be completed. As mentioned in previous weeks, this time, times and half a time refers to a limited time, a limited period of time in which God's people will face oppression. It will end. But when it looks like God's people have been completely defeated and that evil has won the day, for us, because of Christ, we know that he will return, the King of Kings. He will be triumphant over evil and suffering. God will have the last say. Then Daniel says in verse 8, and maybe this gives us comfort hearing Daniel say this, I heard but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of all this? Verse 9, he replied, Go on your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. And we see in this answer that there's less focus on what the exact outcome will be and more focus on how they should live. He says, Daniel, go on your way. Be faithful. The wicked will continue to be wicked. Expect that. But I will give you wisdom to know how to navigate the evil times. Remain steadfast. And as God does all throughout the Bible and history, he works powerful through evil to bring good. We see this most evidently in Jesus, isn't it? As Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We can be certain that in everything, God is refining us. He's purifying us for the day of salvation when he returns. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, remain faithful to God as he has been faithful to us. If you're a Christian, expect there to be times of tribulation. But don't lose heart because God is in control. God is sovereign over it all. And as the evil one still roams for a while, be wary that we don't fall into the trap, the lies and the deception of, and that might tempt us to give up our faith. But instead, persevere in faithfulness towards the end because the everlasting prize of eternal life is glorious. This wasn't so clear for Daniel, but for us it's been made perfectly clear in Christ. And let's help others to endure also. Verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,000 335 days. Everlasting life awaits those who endure faithfully till the end. And remember, pray. 
This isn't just Daniel's greatest weapon. It can be ours as well. Pray for those that we know who are being persecuted for their faith. And pray that God would help us also endure, endure and look forward to the hope that is in ever everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're a God who is sovereign and in control. Thank you that, that what wasn't clear for Daniel and Israelites of that time in the uncertainty of the future has been made certain for us. And it has been made certain through Jesus. So Lord, help us persevere, knowing that the end is near. And Lord, help us to hold on to the gospel hope that we have, that we'd share that with others and that we'd help each other endure to the end. And Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.